Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is ITG's ABCs, and I'm the gun feature dedicated to anthology and backup comic stories. When I first started this feature, I got a tip or suggestion from Martin Gray, whose blog Too Dangerous for a Girl is a go-to destination for insightful comics reviews, chiefly new releases, but Martin throws in the occasional retro review. Well, Martin mentioned the anthology title Superman Family as a possible subject for ABCs, in which I like to cover stories no more than 8 to 10 pages long, and I thought that was a good idea, though I own exactly two issues of Superman Family, both bought for their connections to the Legion of Superheroes during my Legion completist days. One of the issues, number 189, it was the Supergirl story that I bought it for, and I thought this would be a good time to dust off this enjoyable story as in it, Supergirl gets a helping hand from future legionnaire Monel, who of course is pretty heavily featured on the Supergirl TV show, second season of which is wrapping up right around the time of this episode's release. Now I'm going to be a bad retro comic podcaster this episode. As I said, I don't have many issues of this title, and I will confess that my Earth-1 universe Kryptonese isn't the strongest. When rereading this story for this show, I found uh, that it wasn't the little self-contained ditty that for some reason I remembered it was. There's a lot going on here for a 12-page story, plot points being carried on from previous issues that I've never read, uh, but it's still a fun read. So without too much of the in-depth research I usually do for this podcast, <laughs> yeah, right. I think I'm just gonna give it a go. Some recap and commentary on the story called Memories of Menace, coming right up. First, maybe I should introduce Superman Family. It began its life as a little book called Superman's Pal Jimmy Olsen back in 1954 and ran for 20 years and 163 issues before changing format and title to Superman Family and expanding to 100 pages of content, though it would consistently start to shed pages through the years. When the series eventually folded, it was clocking in at a still hefty 48 pages. Jimmy Olsen wasn't outright booted from the book with the format change, but he would share the anthology title with co-features like Lois Lane, Supergirl, Mr. and Mrs. Superman, even Crypto. There were six features in Superman Family number 189, cover dated June 1978, so along with the Supergirl story I'll be covering, you'd find in this 80-page issue a Jimmy Olsen story, Superman, Lois Lane, who got the cover feature spot, and what a cover, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez knocking it out of the park, drawing a battle in Lois's mind, Superman, Supergirl, and Jimmy in color, grapple with a black-and-white, sword-wielding Greek warrior or something amidst other black-and-white scenes. Very attractive cover. A yeah, crypto story was also in there, and a Nightwing and Flamebird story round out the page count. And I read this from the Table of Contents page. The contents are lettered out on a gigantic three-layer cake as the crowd of co-features wish a happy birthday to Superman. This issue's release date coincided with the 40th anniversary of Superman's first appearance in Action Comics 1. Supergirl's story, as I said, called Memories of Menace, was written by Jaxie Harris, illustrated by Jack Abel and Frank Jacoya. 
lettered by Gene Simek and colored by Corey Adams. It opens with Supergirl wandering around the Phantom Zone, that nebulous, extra-dimensional, Kryptonian prison realm. What is Kara doing there? Well, she tells us in flashback she's there to clear her name. She's been accused by Kandorian citizen and criminal Shyla Kor-An of false imprisonment in the Phantom Zone, and further claims Supergirl imprisoned her there to cover the fact that she's for years been in cahoots with Superman's chief baddie, Lex Luthor. Shyla had been retrieved from the Zone by some Kandorian officials after it was noticed that she'd been there after successfully completing her original sentence, whatever that was, before a tribunal within the bottle city of Kandor, an incriminating sequence on Mento tape is produced. This is a device that can record and project a person's memories, though an odd side effect is that the rememberer loses those memories forever. This particular Mento tape projects the memories of Lex Luthor himself, and the the years-old memories show Supergirl, or someone looking a lot like her, enjoying with Luther the spoils of villainy, bags of cash and whatnot. Adding further to the trouble are unexplained gaps in Supergirl's own memory, times when, conceivably, she could have gone rogue. Well, before the tribunal and others in attendance, such as her cousin Superman and pal Jimmy Olsen, Supergirl willingly submits to her one Kryptonian month sentence, it's about 73 Earth days, as there's something or someone in the Phantom Zone, Kara, hopes will help clear her name. Superman runs interference in the court through a technicality stalling for a mere 12 walus, that's 20 minutes, before the case is closed and Kara is stuck in the Phantom Zone for the, the 73 days. And so as Supergirl enters the zone, bringing us back full circle to the beginning of the story, she's immediately attacked by a trio of the criminals already imprisoned there. And these are a couple of the biggies, even I recognize. Jax-Ur, Cruel, and General Zod. Hey folks, this is Jared Albrick, a.k.a. The Yard Sale Artist and semi-regular co-host of the Longbox Crusade podcast with Pat Sampson. Pat came to me recently with a fantastic idea on how we might get the podcast community involved in taking some action to do some good. He called this idea Comics for Courage. Comics for Courage is a concept that came to Pat after I told him the fantastic true story of when I was stationed in Iraq during my military service. While there, I received a huge care package of comic books from the awesome folks over at Wizard and Toy Fair magazines. We had so many comics, we didn't know what to do with them all. Seriously, it was over 100 pounds of comics. So me and a couple of buddies took the bounty of comics we had down to the give-and-take library we'd set up in our headquarters building. And you know what? Within 24 hours, all the comics were gone. The bottom line here is that throughout history, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, one thing remains a constant. Soldiers love comics. It's quick easy, fun reading that gives a soldier a taste of home and lets them escape into an amazing world of comics, even if it's just for a few minutes. So here's the best part of Comics for Courage. Pat and I aren't asking you to donate one cent of your money to Comics for Courage. 
what we would love is for you to donate your excess comics. You know those ones that are just kind of laying around. Just drop them into a box or a big envelope and mail them over to supportourtroops.org. Their mailing address is Support Our Troops, 13617 North Florida Avenue, Tampa, Florida, 33613. Now, they will make sure that those comics get distributed to random soldier care packages, and as a person who's been on the receiving end of this, I can tell you it will mean a lot. And if you'd rather donate money than give up a single comic book, trust me, we understand about that, you can donate through their website as well. Again, that's supportourtroops.org. Just remember two things, all right? Two things. One, make sure the comics have good, clean content. No nudity or adults-only comics, please. Those are the rules for any military member receiving goods downrange. Okay, and number two, this is the fun one. Please take a picture of you with your donation stack and post it on Twitter or Facebook at Longbox Crusade. Or email it to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'd love to give you an on-air shout-out and post your pick on the longboxcrusade.com website. In summary, Pat and I over at Longbox Crusade Podcast would greatly appreciate you taking this small action to make a difference in the life of someone who is far from home defending our freedoms. Thank you for supporting the Comics for Courage initiative. That website, again, is supportourtroops.org. Please check it out. Throw them some comics. Make some soldiers happy. We appreciate it. Thanks again. While Supergirl is getting punished by the mental powers of the Phantom Zone villains, take an interesting little side trip to Kara's hometown, Midvale, and the local branch of Star Labs. There, Supergirl's foster father, Fred Danvers, and Supergirl's birth father, Zor-El, taking the human guise of Roger Elton, are interviewing for a lab assistant position. How these two hooked up, I don't know, but I find that only half as interesting as their interviewee. Just so happens, former JLA sidekick Snapper Carr is looking for a job. This is post-betraying his buddies in the, to the Joker, and also after being duped into taking on the league as the stars are. Yet, here at his interview, Snapper is able to produce a handful of letters of recommendation from various Justice Leaguers, and those all but guarantee him the job. As he leaves the office, he's got some interesting thought balloons. He refers to his new job and the salvaged space junk he discovered on the outskirts of town as being important pieces of his final plan. When comics characters refer to a final plan, that usually means they're up to no good, I really have no idea what Snapper's final plan is, but I'm intrigued. My curiosity is piqued. It's one of the things in this story that has me now on the lookout for some Superman family issues from around this time. Back in the Phantom Zone, Supergirl collapses under the pressure of a mental barrage from Zod, Cruel, and Jaxer. But then suddenly realizes here in the zone she can make physical contact with the other inmates, so... She begins to fight back. This actually takes the criminals by surprise as they've grown unaccustomed to good old fisticuffs. When they start to regroup, Supergirl gets a helping hand or a helping fist from Phantom Zone inhabitant, the only decent one, Mon-El. Years ago, Mon was projected into the Phantom Zone by Superboy in a desperate attempt to halt the case of fatal lead poisoning. 
Lead is as toxic to Monel as Kryptonite is to Supergirl. This is all detailed in a little half-page montage, as is the fact that even though Monel's situation has been at the top of Superman's priority list, hashtag sarcasm, he's fated to spend 1,000 years in the zone until someone else, someone else who actually gives a f comes up with a lead poison cure. Well, Supergirl and Mon scare off Zod and his toadies, and Kara tries to shield her thoughts from Mon, especially those involving his thousand-year stay here. Supergirl, of course, used to occasionally travel to the far future and shared several adventures with Mon-El and his teammates in the Legion of Superheroes. She does tell him, though, that he's just the man she's looking for and produces a mento tape projector. Being trapped in the Phantom Zone has given Monel the opportunity to observe everything that's gone on in the outside world, and Supergirl is banking on the fact that Mon has some obsessive fascination with her, and I guess she's right. Mon claims to know the identity of the quote-unquote Supergirl who worked so closely with Lex Luthor, so Kara flips on the Mento tape and asks Mon to remember. 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 Back in the kangaroo, I mean, Kandorian court, Superman's bargained 12 Walus has almost expired, and the prosecutor there is being real dickish about it. At the last possible moment, Superman activates the Phantom Zone projector, and a mento tape reel appears. Despite objections from the prosecutor, the tape is played, and Monel's kind of creepy, stalkerish memories when I think about it reveal that it was evil Kandorian and Supergirl dead ringer Les Lalar, who'd assumed the Maid of Might's identity and done some pretty naughty things in the company of Lex Luthor, and on her own, things like temporarily releasing several Phantom Zone criminals who paid her for this act by apparently disintegrating her. Shyla Kor An can see that her case against Supergirl is going pear-shaped, we see her confer with an invisible, to everyone else, an invisible field of energy that assures her, though this delays their plans, they can still proceed with caution. The tribunal declares Kara innocent of criminal intentions when imprisoning Shyla in the zone, and Supergirl herself is projected back into her home dimension while poor Monel waits it out. He's chillin'. After a short, threatening interaction with Shyla, who vows they'll meet again, Supergirl and her cousin, with Jimmy Olsen along for the ride, part ways from the Fortress of Solitude, where the bottle city of Kandor is kept, the men go back to Metropolis, and Kara back to Midvale to spend some nice, quiet time with her folks. A great little gem of a story. It's done exactly what it's meant to do. I want to know what happens next. I want to know what Shyla Koran has in store for Kara. I definitely want to know what Snapper Carr has up his sleeve. What are the details of his final plan? The story also has me wanting to check things out in the other direction, too. Les Lalar, a naughty version of Supergirl? Tell me more. It wasn't too long ago I would have turned my nose up at stuff like this. Well, that's not exactly right. I just happened to be a child raised in the throes of the crisis. I was there at the ground floor at the perfect age for the Byrne, Wolfman, Superman reboot. In many ways, that's still my Superman and all the revised mythology that went along with it. 
One of those pieces of mythology that made a lot of sense to me was the last survivor of Krypton part. I knew about all that stuff, the rainbow of kryptonite, the city's worth of surviving Kryptonians. I got that from who's who. Uh, but I wasn't invested in it. And at times it did seem like, and I can't remember whose quote this was, maybe John Burns, that the only two people to actually die at Krypton's explosion were Jor-El and Lara. But I've slowly come around to the silver, bronze age charm of those 60s, 70s super stories, uh, though not yet to more modern takes where those elements were reintroduced. Uh, stories like this one that have helped turn the tide. Jaxie Harris weaves a pretty complicated tale full of flashbacks and full of just insane little details like the Mento tape recorder. Has this appeared before? And why would the rememberer forget what was projected? Why not? <laughs> and all this is held down, grounded by the illustration of Jack Abel and Frank Chicoya. I love it. I see Jack Abel credited as an inker in most of the work I have of his in my collection. Uh, but I noticed this same team, Jack Harris, Abel, Chicoya, worked on the Wonder Woman serial in Adventure right around this time. And I remember the artwork standing out there, too. You know, I don't think I would have appreciated this art in my younger collecting days. It's not flashy and maybe a little workmanlike, but back then I didn't go for things like storytelling, fluidity, and simplicity. You know, there's very little variation in the thickness of inked lines here that makes me think of coloring books. Um, and that's actually an attractive look to me in the story. I'll definitely be putting some of these Jack Abel and Frank Chicoya images up on the show's blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, as well as that drop-dead Jose Luis Garcia Lopez cover. On the blog, you'll also find some contact info for the show should you want to discuss this Bronze Age gem or, uh, or more like it. Like I said, I am now on the hunt for Superman family issues from around this time. Okay, I think that will wrap it up, so until the next time, 13 pages is just too much story. Take care. <laughs>